Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm your host, Ryan Krumer, and welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 138 of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring you the best and brightest in the Amazon e-commerce ad age, uh, ad industry, whatever that looks like. If it's going to help level up your experience as an entrepreneur in the digital landscape, I want to be able to bring on these amazing guests to help you out in that capacity. So without further ado, just want to quickly uh, talk to you about Ping Pong Payments, the presenting partner of this podcast, Crossover Commerce, Ping Pong Payments, has helped over 150 uh, or excuse me, 1 million customers in transacting more than $150 million every single day for cross-border payment solutions. So if you're selling internationally, whether it's the supplier, manufacturer, your VAs, uh, or you're just selling on Amazon or a different uh, marketplace internationally, and you want to repatriate that money, make sure you check out Ping Pong Payments to help you save more of your money that you're earning from different currencies over to your localized currency. Go ahead and click at that link in our show notes below, or if you're watching on social media today, you can go ahead and check that out in the comment section. Just click on that after the show because we're going to be talking about a really cool topic that I'm excited about, and that's about advertising. Advertising is the life and bread, basically the bread and butter of any sort of brand out there. And the things that we focus on may not be the actual negatives, but the 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 nice shiny objects that uh, people can do with marketing. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't avoid certain things. That, that being said, we're going to be talking about, and the title of this episode will be The Three Creative Mistakes You Must Avoid to Get Good ROAS or Return on Advertising Spend. So I wanted to make sure that we set the table all nicely so for our guests to come in. Her name is Lauren Schwartz. Um, she is actually the uh, owner of The Loft 325, and she's been in the space for over 15 years. And over the last eight years, she's been working in digital marketing uh, based in Orange County, California, a thought leader in creating profitable creative strategies for e-commerce brands. So without further ado, I want to uh, have a special welcome to Crossover Commerce, Lauren Schwartz of The Loft 325. Lauren, welcome to Crossover Commerce. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing amazing. It's a little bit earlier for you there on the West Coast, but for those of us uh, uh, who may not be familiar with you, you're coming uh, to us from California. So uh, I appreciate you waking up and uh, spending some time. Uh, I, I love this format because you get to talk to people all over the world, no matter what time it is. But just as we're having a conversation here uh, in a studio or, you know, in person, uh, th this is kind of a cool format that I always love with my podcast. Host, so I appreciate you taking some time to hop on and share some wisdom uh, with us here in Crossover Commerce. Yeah, of course. I'm excited to be here. <laughs> So yeah, for uh, people who may not be familiar with you or your agency, uh, kind of your background, paint me a really quick picture, if you will. We're talking about creatives, right? You can paint me a picture of what who's Lauren Schwartz, uh, what would you do on a day-to-day -day basis um, for your, your clients and then also professionally in the e-commerce space? Yeah, so I own, um, like you said, a small creative company called The Loft 325, and there, I focus on really just helping brands in the e-commerce space um, really help to basically increase, um, you know, increase sales through advertising. Um, you know, there's so much stuff going on on the Internet with um, advertising, you know, on Instagram, you're just always hit with ads. And so really, I just focus on um, trying to, you know, basically help people get the clicks that they need in order to um, you know, really help grow their sales on um, e-commerce. So I have a handful of clients that I work with. I work with, you know, a bunch of different 
industries. Um, it's not just particularly one industry, but all, you know, direct to consumer um, based brands, essentially. So yeah, we have, um, you know, just work on ad creatives for all platforms, um, shoot user generated content, um, pretty much everything that involves creative. <laughs> I love that. Well, and that, that's, you, you kind of work in a very fascinating field, right? Of uh, unlike maybe just someone who's starting out and selling on Amazon, you're on the other side where you're trying to get eyeballs to go directly to a website where instead of searching for a keyword or a specific topic or a product, I should say, service, you're actually trying to get eyeballs, go over to a specific brand for one reason or another. And that in itself, you're trying to uh, grab audience instead of going to where the audience might already be. So what, what's kind of that that struggle or maybe that that blessing, if you will, of going one way versus another? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, working in this space, it, it definitely, because it's so noisy, you really have to kind of stand out. And so I think kind of the biggest thing for me is that just basically just coming up with these great hooks, I think that really kind of help brands kind of get the, the, I don't even know how to say it. I mean, I guess like the, the first three second click that you would need to get. Um, as opposed to someone already knowing your brand, you really have to kind of tell these stories in such quick time frames that, you know, it's just, it's one of those things, it's kind of like a game where you have to really just get people to your website as quickly as possible. And they don't know who you are. So, and you only have less than three seconds to kind of pull them in to figure out who you are to get them to go to your website. So it definitely is a challenge, but it's a fun challenge. And I, I fully enjoy what I do because it's just fun. <laughs> no, it, it, it is. And you're, you're talking about something that's probably the scariest thing in the entire world is how do I get someone's attention first and foremost? Uh, it's not just a tagline. It's not creative. But in three seconds, you're talking about, I, I always said 15. 15 is kind of like the traditional mindset, depending on what medium you're, you're talking about. But you're talking about three seconds in a society where, we're getting pulled in all these different directions, our phones, our tablets, our computers, uh, our children, our, uh, you know, any, anything, uh, television, even everything is yelling at us constantly. So walk me, walk me through as a strategist or content, uh, uh, content ambassador, basically for brands out there, three seconds isn't a lot of time. So where do we start first? Yeah. So the first thing I like to do with my clients is I like to try to figure out what is the hook. So I think that's something that is really important when, you know, I kind of start out with brands is I like to go through all the creative assets that they have, look at all the copy that they have, kind of go through their website and just really figure out, okay, what makes you stand out amongst all your competitors? And really, that's kind of the, the first initial thing that we need to figure out because as you scroll through everything, you know, on your phone, on, you know, your computer, whatever, you have to, you know, you only have seconds, less than a second, less than three seconds to really kind of pull them in. And so it's kind of just figuring out, okay, is it the copy that's pulling someone in? Is it the image? Is it the video? And really just kind of testing those out and trying to figure those out. So really trying to figure out what the hook is for the brand. So it's a lot of, I actually do a lot of research before even starting ad creatives because it's just something that I need to be super, super familiar with the brand. And I need to know exactly what you're selling because really at the end of the day, if I don't know 
the, you know, overall benefit or feature of your product, then, then I'm not going to know how to sell your product. and I'm not going to know how to grab that attention. So definitely figuring out your hook is the first and foremost, um, for how I kind of start ad creatives. Right. So you're talking about like hook, you're talking about, uh, how do I stand out? So in a massive, I have a, um, purple pencil, like, why is my purple pencil worth your time and money and effort to even look at it even further? What like, does it, uh, does it change colors of the paper that I'm running on? Does it do any, like any kind of weird nuance? Is that what you're talking about? When, yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Cool. So yeah, for a listener out there is, um, I, I always talk about on the show, building a brand is the utmost importance. And before you even start your journey of either online entrepreneurship, selling a service, selling your uh, products and whatnot, you need to know how you're going to stand out. So establishing your hook from early on, when people are coming in, what, what are those ways to do it? Are you seeing more people try to do that visually through video um, imagery, or like you said, through, through context or, or text and um, words? So Facebook or maybe is, something else I'm not thinking. Yeah, about. no, I mean, honestly, like right now, kind of, you know, Facebook is kind of the wild, wild west right now, just with everything that's kind of happened with the iOS update. So it's, it's been a lot of actually a lot of testing before it was, you know, it's kind of that whole video. Um, obviously video is always going to be huge. Um, but I have been seeing, you know, a lot of static images with really bold headlines working as well. And I, you know, I always like to tell my clients to don't underestimate your static imagery because it's one of those things, like it's very clear what the product is. It's, a lay down, it's, you know, a product in use. And it's something that you can play around a lot with. And I would just always say, don't ever underestimate that. But basically, what's happening right now within um, the e commerce space is obviously mostly video and user generated content is kind of what's helping drive um, people to click. And it's really kind of that whole TikTok style um, video where it's quick transitions. It's, you know, very quick um, copy, simple copy, kind of that kind of thing is just really helping to kind of drive sales. So I, I've been really kind of focusing on TikTok videos to kind of see what people are doing and how they're kind of grabbing your attention. Because if you've ever really looked at TikTok, you go into this like deep, dark hole of TikTok and you're there for hours. So <laughs> I <laughs> really just try to pull as many trends as I can from there and then just translate that into uh, Facebook and Instagram, really. Well, and uh, I, you made a really good point, and this is for anyone marketing or uh, a nerd in marketing like myself. Uh, if you, if you want to classify yourself as the, one of those things as well, uh, feel free to. But me <laughs> as an uh, advertising nerd, I, I went down this really deep, dark hole on YouTube, believe it or not, and they were talking about creating original content for TikTok um, versus something like on Instagram or on Facebook or even on YouTube. And the reason why it was so fascinating to look at something like TikTok is because of the different portals of which the platform itself is pointing at you. For example, on Instagram, you can go to Reels or you can go to their homepage or you can go to Stories or you can go to all these different things. There's too many offshoots for you to get kind of garner someone's attention, right? So it almost like splits instantaneously right when you go to app. TikTok's a little bit different and I found super fascinating because it's aggregating content for you instantaneously. Right. You have no way to uh, offshoot into 
uh, funny cat videos or uh, silly uh, singing, um, you know, dogs or something like that. Uh, you have to go literally swipe up or, uh, you know, that that's the next quote unquote thing. So creating original content to be served in the masses is only in one narrow uh, funnel instead mm -hmm. of all these different issues. So it's a little bit easier to get original content in that capacity and trend and see what trends are versus maybe something like Instagram. So is, is that why it's so fascinating for you to, to go on that platform? Yeah, I think it's just, I mean, honestly, TikTok, there, there's just so many things on there that you can watch that it's kind of for anyone. Like, I mean, really, like you said, like with Instagram, yes, like you can look at the feed or you can look at reels or you can look at stories. And I agree, like there's so many things that you can kind of click out of that kind of takes your attention away from what you're trying to kind of focus on. Whereas TikTok, it's just videos the entire time. So no matter what you're scrolling up and, and looking at, it's in your feed, it's people who you follow, and it's just very clear, like the content that's being served to you. And so it's really things that are, you know, things that you would like already, and then obviously the people that you follow. And so I think it's just something that there's so many trends out there and there's so many things to kind of focus on where TikTok just really hones in on what it is that they're trying to basically feed you. And it's just really, you know, you just get sucked into it. And then, you know, next thing you know, you've been on it for an hour. Right. The the time in your eyeballs is that's the, the major one in this capacity. So we're talking about three of, uh, mistakes to avoid. Uh, your, the first one is to not have a hook. I'm assuming that would be yes, the number yes. one thing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what would be number two to avoid in these types of platforms when you're creating a brand and you're advertising your brand on these platforms? Yeah, I would definitely say um, not having uh, user-generated content um, and not if you do have user-generated content, not adding captions to your content. So again, that's another big thing with the different platforms. So as you, you know, there's so many platforms out there, like we said, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube, all of that, TikTok. Um, and most people are on their phone getting this, you know, this fed to them. So the biggest thing is if you don't have user-generated content, that's a big miss, I feel like. And, and these just go together. But because so many people do interact with people talking about your product, and it does seem very genuine when they do talk about your product, and as you're talking about the product, if you don't have captions, you know, most of the time people on Facebook and Instagram, they don't have their sound on. And so you have to make sure you can understand what they're talking about when, <clears throat> you know, they're scrolling through your feed. With TikTok, it's different because with TikTok, most people have the sound on. They like to hear what's going on. So with that, it's kind of one of those things where you can add in kind of small call outs because you are listening to TikTok with sound on. But most other platforms, you don't have your sound on as you're scrolling through them. So you always want to make sure that you have captions so that you can, so people understand what you're actually talking about. So cap, so captions, I would say that would be, that, that's a good thing. I think, uh, especially in, you have video late at night, like if you're in your bed, like I'm trying to think of when your user is actually on their phones or they have time to not waste, but spend on social media. A lot of the times it's either. Um, there's lots of other things going on. So to stand out, obviously either have captions so that they can read into if something stands out. Is there, is there a point at which there's too much talking or there's too much uh, information that you're packing into an ad? So I think, 
a, you know, obviously if there's, there are some people, you know, when they are talking about the product, they can get a little wordy with it. So I think for, in those instances, what I like to try to do is I like, I call it branded captions where I'm not necessarily pulling out the entire caption, but I'm pulling snippets from it where I'm just getting the key callouts so that you can see it on the screen and it's clear as to what they're talking about, but you don't have to read an entire paragraph essentially. So if I'm looking at it with sound off, I can see, oh, okay, they're talking about, like you said, like that purple pencil. And this is the, this is what they're talking about. This is the feature that is so important to them, but it's not necessarily, you know, a novel of what you're trying to read. It's just kind of two quick call outs so that you can see what it is. Right. You're piecing together all these different puzzles. Like if you're looking at it real quickly, you see what the person or people are doing, plus also the content that is being fed to you, um, either through audio or through visual and uh, captions. So what are the things I should have into my 15 seconds or so of capturing somebody and making sure that I need to have ABC and I'm going to create a bare minimum good ad, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I think for that one, so this kind of goes into the third creative mistake is not showing your product within the first three seconds, actually within the first second. Um, so if you are having someone shooting user generated content for you, um, I do notice a lot of times people are, you know, they're talking with their hands and they, you know, again, they're really, they just want to talk more about what the product is. And a lot of times they don't hold the product up so you can actually see it. And it's kind of off to the side or it's on the table and they're just sitting and talking about this product. And most of the time it's like, okay, great. I'm, you know, I see your face, but I don't know what, like, okay, great. You're talking about this product, but I can't see it. I don't know what it is. And so, you know, just not getting the product within someone's face within the first three seconds. So when shooting the content, again, the best thing I think that most brands can do is just kind of give their um, creators kind of these bulleted scripts that they can kind of talk to about what are the features, what are the benefits of the product, why is, you know, why should someone um, use the product, and then really showing that product within the first three seconds. Um, and then again, having that hook that you need, either it's kind of like a swiping in front of your face, putting the product, you know, a zoom in, zoom out, something like that. Um, it kind of, again, like it stops you in the feed and you're like, oh, like what, what is that coming at me? You know? So all these different things are just things that as you're kind of looking through the content, when you're creating your ads, it's just trying to think of all these different things of how am I going to get you to stop? What am I talking about in the product? And basically getting someone to, if they are talking about the product using the captions. So yeah. Well, <laughs> the, no, that's, no, that's a lot to unpack. So, um, I love all three of those. So obviously having a hook, making sure, make sure your product's visible in the first, you know, second or three seconds, and then making sure that you have that user generated content. Like you said, someone else is using it um, or just having like uh, the, those captions, which I don't think makes sense. Is there um, to, to obviously have a basis of a, of a great product? What are the metrics that maybe if I'm creating this brand, I'm working with you, Lauren, what are the things that I should be excited about? Is it, it used to be impressions, right? Like we used to buy back in the day, we used to buy impressions on Google. Uh, we had to buy like 10,000 or a hundred thousand. And that was how many times my ad was going to be served. Now it's not necessarily impressions, but it's almost uh, clicks or it, 
Is it something else more than just clicks and conversions? Uh, is there anything specific you're looking at? Yeah, again, it's hard right now just because, again, there's so much going on with Facebook and underreporting um, a lot of issues just with kind of the iOS update. But what I usually look for is um, engagement, uh, the first three seconds, you know, video views, and I look for click-through rate. So if I'm getting people to click through my ad, then at least I know, okay, I got them to click. Um, if it's under a one, obviously that's, you know, just not a very good click-through rate. But if I can get higher than a one, then I know, okay, at least people are interacting with what we're doing and basically how do we make it better? So we got them to click, we got them to your website. So is it, you know, and if they don't convert, if they don't purchase, then it's another question of, okay, is it the landing page? Is it the ad? You know, then it kind of goes into this whole other thing of making sure that your website and your landing pages are clear to get the, the purchase as well. Right. They're optimized. Um, exactly. So it's kind of one of those things, you know, I, I definitely look through all of those. I look at all metrics, but I really try to see, you know, if people are actually clicking and purchasing from the site, because there's a lot of things that can happen once they get to the site. And if they're dropping off, then we really need to figure out, okay, what's the issue here? Um, but those are kind of the things that I'm really focusing on is the video views um, and the click-through rate and website purchases. I would, I would almost ask you, maybe this is a silly question, how many, how many creatives are you having for a campaign per campaign or you have multiple campaigns that you're trying to almost a b or even c test uh between what's going to resonate with a, a potential client at the same time or are you just doing one-offs here and there um because the traditional model i'm not sure how recent like facebook has been able to allow you to a b test it's more like just different campaigns all at once but you're having the same call to action just presented differently whether it's more uh, movement focused or more text focused, like you said, kind of testing what's going to resonate more with clients. Is there an amount that you're typically doing per campaign? So I do like to do creative testing. I think that's a huge thing that most people actually aren't doing. Um, I think they kind of add things in here and there. And one of the biggest things with my company is that we try to creative test as much as possible. I would rather test um a handful of creatives i think for videos i usually do about three and then for static images i you know i'll throw any in there between five to ten just because it's it's easy they're statics and you can kind of see like different headline variations um but i think that creative testing is something that people just don't necessarily do a lot of and it you know right now again it's hard because of Facebook, but it is something that you still can learn and you can understand like, okay, what's working, what's not working. Um, but yeah, I usually do try to get at least three to four video creatives in there that we can kind of creative test where it's either changing the copy in the first three seconds or changing the video image in the first three seconds, uh, keeping the same headline, keeping the same text copy, and really just testing those kind of different iterations to see what's gonna get someone to actually click on it. Excellent. What about, um, so if I'm working through this and I'm, I'm getting into results in this regards, is your campaign rollout strictly just through paid ads or are you also working in conjunction with any sort of like influencers or anyone else on those platforms to help uh, promote a, 
simultaneously or what's kind of the strategy behind that? So it depends on, you know, again, it depends on who the client is. Um, you know, some clients don't necessarily want to do influencer marketing. Um, okay. I do, what would that be? Um, some just don't really want to pay for it and they don't really want to, you know, interact with that sort of, I don't know, honestly, now that I think about it, just some just don't honestly want to pay for it is the biggest thing. They don't want to pay for the influencers. They don't want to pay for the time. Um, but the clients that I do have yet yeah, uh, on some of the other clients that I do have, we do a lot of whitelisting, um, where we're kind of running the campaign that the influencer is doing on their pages and their feed. And then we're running it obviously on the other platform or I'm sorry, on the, um, brand side running the ads as well. So again, for, for influencers, it's definitely different for them. I usually try to keep their ad creatives very native to the platform because I don't want their feed to look like an ad. I want their feed to look like a story where they're like, where they're actually talking about the product. So it is very different on those sides because for the brand side, I like to make it obviously look like an ad, but then on the other side, I want to make it look as native to the platform as possible. Yeah. You're not trying to trick them. You're just trying to make it feel more like palatable basically is exactly depending on who you're going to. So in an influencer, and I just want to be specific. So on the show, we've talked about like micro influencers, which could be anywhere from like one to a thousand, uh, you know, semi micro, um, you know, all the way to someone who has a blue check mark, which, you know, those people either do this for a living or they just have a really great following. What, uh, you're working with anyone in that range or just specifically higher yeah. followership? What, what's kind of that focus for you and your team? It's kind of both, to be honest. Um, some of the higher clients that I have um, who do put a little bit more into, you know, payment behind their advertising are obviously going for the higher influencers with the blue check mark. Um, and then a lot of the smaller influencers that I have, um, we are going kind of for those micro influencers because with the micro influencers, they don't necessarily have such a huge following and they are willing to kind of talk about your product for kind of a trade. So we'll give them the product, they'll rate it and talk about it, but at least it gives us the content that we need in order to kind of get the ad creatives that I need. Um, but then yes, we do have the ones where we pay, you know, they pay the influencers uh, to really kind of help them push the account. Gotcha. Let me ask you maybe a controversial question. Does a blue check mark mean anything anymore on any sort of social media platform, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, uh, well, Facebook introduced it because of Instagram, but Twitter as well. Does that, does that still have clout in your mind as a marketer or does it, because now I'll, I'll speak from personal experience right now, when I look at a blue check mark on, for example, Twitter, I have, I still have no clue who some of these people are <laughs> in their respective fields. And it used to be off of followership of, I'm not mistaken, but it could be Hey, I'm a public figure in some form of context, which in theory, all of us are public figures in our own forum. Mm -hmm. So I'm really trying to grapple with, does that still have value and clout like it did at the beginning when they were very selective on whom they gave it to or how you were able to achieve such a quote unquote ranking within social media? Does that resonate still with you? Yeah, I mean... I don't know. I would say I personally would say no, because again, I don't know if they're paying for followers. I don't know. Like, I mean, you really don't know how they got the blue check mark.
mark. I mean, obviously right. celebrities, you know how they got people to check mark they're a celebrity, but right. these influencers, like, I don't know if they, you know, again, you could pay for, you could pay for followers. So you could pay for it and be, and have a blue check mark and that's fine. So I don't really know. I mean, I would say no, but again, it's controversial. Who knows? I'm sure other people are going to disagree, but that's my feeling. Well, your feeling, it makes sense because you're also trying to educate your client, right? Like what actually is going to be worth your while. And that's what we're trying to avoid is I almost feel like that would be a mistake to constantly like, Hey, I need to get my, the, the one I always hear, like, for example, is like, I need to get my product in celebrity or movie star XYZ's hands. Well, maybe that's not worth like the thousands, tens of thousands of dollars that you'd have to do for a one-time post. Again, likes are likes, but conversions are different. How do you separate the nuances between for your clients the difference between social engagement versus actual purchasing and click are like, you know, interactions and valuable, like whether it's collection of data and information to your subscriber list or even just purchasing in general. Yeah. I think, you know, especially just talking about the whole blue verified checkmark thing, you know, you can get this really great influencer, but if you don't have really good engagement on anything that they're posting, are they going to get good engagement on your ad creatives? Probably not just because they already don't have the engagement there. So it's one of those things, if I'm going to, you know, if you're going to kind of vet out these influencers and pay for them, then the biggest thing would be checking their engagement. Do people interact with their posts? Do they comment? Do they like? Those are things that you want to, you know, really check for. If there's, you know, if they have a blue check mark and they only get, you know, a hundred likes or, you know, a couple comments, it's like, eh, like, yeah. I don't Houston, know we you... have a problem. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, do you want to pay for that? Probably not. You'll probably get better results with a micro influencer who doesn't have a huge following because at least if they're, cause most of the time their engagement is a lot higher than those people who have tens of thousands of followers. So that's kind of right. how I look at it. Well, I think it's so engaging too, because I, I, I'm a, I'm a big social listener. And if you don't, if you, you listener are out there and you're thinking about this is I like to observe what social listener would be observing what other people in an industry space or category are behaving like and i like to figure out like how in what way people are engaging with their audiences but also how they're presenting information right you can instead of going at you learn like I, instead of messaging you directly i can like engage with your post read your content say hey this is a really great piece of content and share it and i think that has more value for a brand if they're working with like micro influencers than if i'm blatantly which again, a lot of the, the social posts ha I happen to stumble upon blatantly call to action. If it's a paid post and they tag it as such, you know, for a fact that they either may not stand behind it, but they're getting paid for it. And it doesn't, doesn't consume well in the eyes of some, you know, people on the yeah. other hand too, depending on who you're following is and who you're targeting, you can have just people just go crazy and they're like, yep, buying no matter what in your mind is, not turned on. Uh, you're just literally listening to that. Is that scary to you as a marketer of we're now moving to an age where people are just saying yes to no matter what they're being served? Or is there something that we're missing in that context? I do believe that, you know, there are still a lot of people when they do look at social media and they look at advertising specifically, you know, I do know a lot of people that are like, I don't want to purchase this just because I know they don't use the product. I know they don't, you know, they're just doing this just because they got paid for it. That's why, again, I, the higher ranked 
um, influencers, I think they're, they're good to have. They, they do work, but I really do try to go for the micro influencers because at least you legitimately know that they've tried the product and they are, you know, talking truthfully from, you know, their experience with it. So I definitely think that there are a lot of people out there that, that do struggle with it. And I think that's why, you know, when I kind of vet out the people I work with for content creators and um, influencers, you know, I really try to find people that, that I think really do value the product and really do want to try it and, and understand it. And so Yes, I, I do think that there are, a, there, it is a struggle for sure, because a lot of times people are just like, oh, this is just another ad being served to me, and I don't want to hear about it. So, I mean, it's it's always going to happen. I think, I don't think there's any way to avoid it. But at the same time, you still need that kind of content, and you still need it for your advertising. And there, on the other side, there is still people that will click and purchase it as well. <laughs> so it's like, it's kind of 50, 50. Like, Those are nice know. people to have. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll say it is nice to have people like that, but I'm like, I, I asked the question to understand where we are as a society. Like, again, it's generational. It's, uh, it's either male, female, like it's so many, there's so many different contexts of what, how you can look at data and how it's broken down and who your audience is. I, I get that. And so, I'm just, I'm just kind of like working this out in my head constantly is you would almost say it's like a younger generation. Uh, like for example, my younger brothers and sisters they're there. It's a big light comment. If I don't get a lot of those things, I don't, there's a lot of like negativity surrounded by either not getting that or you are getting that. Does that make sense? So yeah. that's where I try to, how does that translate over to brand focus? Is it good to have more likes and comments or are brands getting sucked into that and would rather focus on that versus the actual end of the day, why they're in businesses, conversions, building up an audience base, uh, a, a repeat business of customers, like a, like an actual loyalty instead of, uh, you know, arbitrary pat on the back of that makes sense. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, honestly, it's kind of both. I don't, I don't know. It's hard. I don't necessarily know if anyone anymore has brand loyalty. I just don't. I think there's a lot of people, like you said, because there's so many, so many people are getting consumed with so many things and so many products that I think like maybe there might, you know, might have brand loyalty, but a lot of people, I don't know. I just don't feel like a lot of people do have that kind of brand loyalty anymore. I think so many people are willing to try other things and I think, you know, there's within this, this industry, within e-commerce, if you do have a very engaged, you know, social platform, people, you know, your, your um, clients do, or your customers really do like it, they do purchase, they subscribe, they, you know, if you do have subscriptions or anything like that, and they do have it, I think that's obviously that's great because their lifetime value is obviously going to stick. But I also think that those those customers will still go out and try other products and also, you know, get their products as well. And I guess have that sort of loyalty to them, too. But it's not necessarily like I only focus on one, like I'll focus on brand loyalty for like five people as opposed to like one, if that makes sense. Right. So I, I guess that's a good transition into what should your money, your investment like it, it, as a brand starting out your money can only go so far and what you should focus into 
acquisition of new customer or retaining current customer. It sounds to me like you would rather focus on new customer acquisition to keep filtering that into because loyalty is not as strong as it once was when we were growing up or you know even our parents generation or what whatever that might look like is it is that a fair assumption to say it's most often you should focus on new customer acquisition and less on retention yeah i definitely think that that's probably the the biggest thing is that you should definitely focus on new customers because again there's always going to be that you know you will have those people who who do like your product but you still need to go out and find all those people that haven't heard of you so i i think it's mostly customer acquisition amazing what about um international audiences uh do you, do you dabble in any sort of uh multi uh cultural or any sort of international audience or does it all do a lot of your clients just focus on one marketplace, for example, like the United States or Canada or so on and so forth? Yeah, I have a couple clients who are international and we do focus on international and US. Um, again, it's very different. Um, it's different, but it's not. I mean, there's some things that, you know, I think for the US, it's actually a little bit harder because again, there's so much stuff that's on the internet here. Like there's just so much that gets fed to you on a daily basis. And there's so many people who are, you know, are consumers in this space. Um, whereas internationally, I, I, it's not as much of a struggle, um, to kind of get the product in someone's face and, and have them purchase from what I found with the clients I've worked with internationally. Um, it is a little bit harder on the U S side you know, a lot of times in international, they'll get a very high ROAS on that side. And then once they transition into US, it definitely drops off. And we have to figure out a new way to kind of reintroduce their product to the US because most of the time that product is already here and it has five brothers and sisters that are competing with it. And so now we have call to call me out, two okay, products. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like now you have to figure out, okay, how is this product so different from all these other ones? So yeah, it definitely is a struggle for sure. Um, going from, you know, international to us. Right. And, and audiences, obviously uh, my, I love having the talk about localization and what, uh, factors into a behavior or what resonates with a localized culture. For example, uh, we, we talk about male, female, age, uh, gender, uh, you know, preference, but then also we can go as deep as like religion or what language you're speaking or uh, how you were brought up, almost like a very nuanced way of targeting individuals, which again, the likes of Facebook, Instagram, they allow you to target very specific on that. Is that a good idea to get as localized or as specific in advertisements? Or is it almost better to shoot your shotgun approach and see who's resonating with that brand and then narrow it from there? Yeah, I usually like to go broad first. Um, I do feel like it's not a bad idea to localize, but if you're starting out a new campaign, I definitely wouldn't localize just because really at the end of the day, like, okay, if that doesn't work, you could end up actually paying more money because with all of those different things that kind of go into it, I mean, older audiences normally are more expensive. The CPAs are normally a lot higher, um, you know, depending on the demographic and, um, 
even the, the product, like it, it, so many things depend on that kind of stuff. And so I definitely think if you go shoot broad, at least then at that point, you're going to start to figure out what's working. And then you can kind of take those winning creatives and move them into kind of the separate, you know, um, smaller categories or interests or whatever you kind of want to like narrow it down to. What's been the most surprising campaign that you've ever run in terms of you thought product XYZ was going to fit these demographics. Same with brand. They're like, yep, this is our audience. You look at data and I love following data. Data is like the number one, as we know, like there's no science behind, or there's science behind it. There's no like opinion behind it. It's, it's factual. Data. Yeah. Like, yeah. Data, it's data. Like you can't, can't fudge it really. Yeah. Um, what was the most surprising results that you found from a campaign um, either via it was a different customer than you thought would, it would resonate with or, the conversions were happening differently than what you thought in that case. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that's happened so many times. Uh, <laughs> I don't think. You just throw it out the window. Yeah. We, we don't know what we're doing anymore. Yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I mean, like, it, again, like, I think that's what is so fun about what I do is that it's really most of the time I'm like, yep, I think I know it and I got it. And then at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, well, maybe I I don't know. Like it's, you know, there's so many variables that go into it. Um, you know, a lot of times I think too, um, you know, I have a couple skincare clients where, you know, things had happened where we put it into this campaign and obviously we were targeting women and we're like, this is going to work great for women. I'm sorry, uh, for men, just the product that it was for. Um, and, it actually ended up being for women where more women were, were gravitating towards men. And we were like, well, we have a guy in the video. They're talking about the product, but for some reason, women are purchasing this, which is odd. But then it was kind of like, as you kind of dissect it, you're like, oh, well, I'm sure more women purchase this for their husband or, you know, it just, maybe it speaks to them better. I, I don't know. There was just something about it where I was like, yeah, like this will totally resonate with men. And then it did not at all. It was all women based like i mean it was definitely like it wasn't even 50 50 it was way more women gravitated towards it than men which was odd so so how fast are you iterating um your creative based around that data is it is it after a month or a week or uh i I asked that because that story sounds so similar to ones where i listen to agencies or hear them talk about hey listen we had product xyz it was targeted to demographic this uh, for example, on Amazon, they had a uh, cigar or a creme brulee torch, right? Very simple. If you don't know what creme brulee is, you finish off, you put sugar on this egg custard, and you actually torch it, which caramelizes the sugar on top of creme brulee. Welcome to Ryan's cooking show, by the way. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it hardens and it cracks, and it's the most delicious uh, dessert you can po- possibly ever have. It's terrible for your health. Anyways, uh, they were selling it online targeted to home and uh, home kitchen. Uh, audiences ads were all focused on that using for that specific uh, use but they actually found out that a lot of the people were buying them men were buying them for cigar lighters because it's a quick and easy and efficient way to light your cigar super fascinating then you start to a b test your creatives quickly and effectively then you start to become the number one ranked product on amazon because of that so is use even for product like you never thought about even just people using it for that specific use. And then your campaign changes based on that. Have you found? Oh, totally. Yeah. Like there's definitely been times when we, you know, we're focusing so hard on, okay, this is what the product is. This is what we need to focus on. And then 
as the data kind of rolls in, you're like, oh, wait a second. Like there's this whole other like audience and demographic that we could definitely, you know, move towards. And then we can kind of take, you know, some of the learnings that we have there and just, and basically just, just make iterations off of what is in the other campaign and just add it to that campaign and be like, okay, well, great. We can, you know, sell it to these people as well. Um, definitely like we make iterations on my team. Um, we'll put it in the account. We usually have about seven days and then we start making iterations weekly. Um, just because again, there's so many things that you can test and there's so many things that you can get into the account that most of the time it's like, we need to make iterations pretty quickly so that we can always be testing and always learning. Right. Well, that, and that's the most fascinating thing about marketing is how quickly your speedboat can switch directions instead of, you know, a cruiser, or, uh, any sort of like ship basically at capacity they can't make those changes as quickly as someone like an agency you can to make those nuanced changes based upon where the wind is blowing you or what which way the the waves are uh taking you but in that capacity what's the best platform in your mind that allows for that functionality conversion rate all those things that we talked about the best ways to market an up-and-coming brand is there one platform that's that's really catering to people right now in, in that uh, space? I mean, honestly, Facebook and Instagram is always going to be, I think, the biggest driver for now. But I will say that TikTok is kind of an up and coming platform that I think a lot more uh, brands are starting to realize that they do need to get onto it um, because mm -hmm they've opened up a lot more for advertising and a lot more people are seeing results from TikTok as opposed to Facebook and it's cheaper. So it's definitely one of those things I think that, you know, right now because Facebook and Instagram is so big, most people put all their you know money there, but definitely diversifying the platform a bit and putting, you know, some spend into TikTok, I think is something that people should be doing. I've definitely heard that and I would I would agree with that. I think that depending on your market, obviously, and who you're trying to target, that that was that is very much a consumable uh, piece of content that lots of it's gravitating and capturing lots of individuals on as well. If you had to, Lauren, kind of in the tail end of this episode, um, as people are starting to think about strategies going into the rest of this year, going into Q3, we're in Q3, going into Q4, what tips do you have for people to not waste on their advertising dollar, but basically stand out effectively, efficiently, and then also hopefully, you know, get conversions out of, is there strategies that you can inform or educate our audience on? I think, again, the biggest thing is, you know, gathering that user generated content. I think that's something that, you know, a lot of brands should kind of start to, you know, they should focus on um, because it's not going away it's only kind of coming to the forefront. Um, it's, you know, it was like that in 2020. It's still like that in 2021. And, you know, I think kind of the thing that I would look at though now is more of those TikTok users who, you know, the micro influencers who understand how to grab your attention a lot quicker than the people on kind of Instagram and Facebook. Those are, I mean, to be honest, those are my biggest things that I'm t kind of telling my clients and it, it works. It really does work. And we are seeing a lot of results from that. So 
Is there uh, is there something that's keeping you up at night in terms of these these platforms, if you will? Of I'm super nervous that they'll make a change on advertising X Y Z, or is it what's what's that that fear that keeps you up at night in terms of working with these brands? Is there something that looms that you're you're afraid of, or um, everything's kind of smooth sailing right now in your no, world? No, I mean I definitely you know want Facebook to kind of figure out what the heck is going on on there. <laughs> so that, figure it out, Facebook, geez. <laughs> like, not making things so expensive, um, you know, because it is hard, especially for smaller brands, you know, if they don't have a huge budget and they're having to spend a lot of money, you know, to even acquire customers, it's definitely a struggle for sure. Um, you know, and a lot of times people are just like, well, I don't have the money to put towards this, so I have to get off of, you know, this platform. And it's like, you know, obviously that's, that's a struggle. So for me, that's kind of the biggest thing is I just want Facebook to figure it out already so that we can <laughs> continue on. But I mean, that's honestly the biggest thing really. <laughs> right. And also maybe I, I would even say, tell people who ask that question, that's one that's has a lot. It's almost like narrow focus, like be really good at Facebook or really good on Instagram and like really stick to one platform instead of, oh, what's the next um, audio only or video only platform that's going to be up and coming. You have to put a lot of money into that. Like, don't don't be broad, but be good at one or two or three different things. However, you can consume your time and and really stick with it. And if you're not on Snapchat for one reason or another, that may not be a terrible thing. Like, that's right. one less thing you have to do. Um, I, I didn't I didn't ask you about like Pinterest and other kinds of ways that I'm actually pretty fascinated on uh, for clients like ours who are. You know, it's it's more like content creation and educational, almost like a blog, but visually uh, any sort of blog that can kind of point people to a purchase product XYZ here or work with affiliates in that regards or influencers. What What's kind of that strategy for like Pinterest maybe that if people have lots of content or education to put out there and they have all this database to do so, what would be a good strategy on um like Pinterest, for example, uh, be for you? Yeah, I have, um, I do have a lot of clients actually on Pinterest. Um, I think it's figuring out again, like you said, don't go into so many different platforms all at once because you're not going to learn anything. So sure. the biggest thing for my clients is we always start out on Facebook and Instagram. We put the most of their money onto that platform first. We figure out what works on that platform and then really we take the learnings from Facebook and Instagram and we translate it to each platform. So every platform is obviously different. So like you said, for Pinterest, it's more, you know, it's the DIYers. It's the people who like want to figure out, you know, how to upgrade their home or whatever. And so it's kind of making it more of like a listicle type thing or a blog post. So I change my creatives to look like it's native to the feed but yet you're still wanting to kind of, you know, draw them in with like a big headline. Most of the time statics work better on Pinterest than video, what I've seen so far. Um, and again, it's kind of making like pulling them into, you know, looking at this great outdoor furniture set and like they want to live in that space, you know, and then they want to click on it and then they, you know, find out more basically. So I definitely, you know, start, Facebook, Instagram, and then kind of move into the different platforms after you already figure out what works and then kind of change it to match that platform. 
Excellent. Well, I, I think that's, those are great tips. And I, I would agree with you. The more native that I'm clicking on, I think are more like static images. Video almost seems like guaranteed it's an ad, like no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> almost guaranteed. So yeah. uh, th that being said, so Lauren, I know with the Loft325, which name came from, is that zip code or what's that based around? <laughs> no, I actually started my business when I literally lived in a small loft and the address was 325. <laughs> I was gonna say hopefully that's not square footage of the loft because that would be I uh, mean it was pretty small so <laughs> <laughs> no I love that. Well that's fantastic. So if if I if I have other questions from the listener right now and want to reach out to you besides following you on Instagram which we have your handle there uh below your video what would be the other ways to either engage with you or or find the find out more about the company. Yeah. So everything is the loft three, two, five. So, um, you know, email, um, you know, my handles it's, you know, the website is the loft three, two, five.com. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm always open to answering anybody's questions. So yeah. Send them your way. Yeah. Perfect. Well, <laughs> well, yeah. If, and, and I think a lot of people are really excited to continuously talk about social media, the voices that people have in terms of the narratives they're able to easily put out there, but then also trying to figure out how to break through so much clutter out there. Like you said, we're, we're inundated so many different ways and it's both fascinating, exciting, heartburn inducing, you know, industry <laughs> we're all in. So God yeah. bless every marketer. I'm in the same, same boat. So I appreciate that. So, but thank you so much for the time uh, you spending with us here on crossover commerce and then uh, just educating our audience on like, things to avoid, obviously, when working with ads, but then also some, some of your own thoughts and your projections and uh, perceptions of the industry itself. So I appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much, Lauren. And then everyone, again, thank you so much for ha uh, listening to Crossover Commerce. Again, this is my corner of the internet where I bring experts in the Amazon e-commerce uh, advertising logistics industry. It, no matter what it is, we want to make sure that you as an entrepreneur, if you're selling or uh, even growing online your business, we want to make sure that you get information in your inbox so that you can be able to elevate your business moving forward. That being said, thank you for listening to episode 138 of Crossover Commerce. Tune in tomorrow. Again, we'll be going live, uh, talking about more creative aspects to kind of tease it. We're going to be with Katie White of uh, Why You Should Build Your Social Media In-House and Seven Agency. Not exactly the topic we were talking about today with an agency, but we're going to be kind of going the opposite direction, what you could do in-house and then till you're ready to work with likes of an agency that might be out there. So that being said, thanks for tuning into Crossover Commerce. We'll get you guys next time.